Yes. How are you spelling that? Mother, Mother's Day. Um, happy Mother's Day to you. What a great day to take the time. We don't always take the time to appreciate that woman in our life, whether it's a mother, grandmother, future mother, great-grandmother, if you got them, oh, just love them and enjoy them. As I was going through this, I realized it's been over 45 years since I've had my mother. And going through this passage, verse 6 gave me that hope that I will get to see her again. So just know, when we go over verse 6 today, just know that during this time period at the meal, either at some point before um, I'm going to be hugging her, sorry, allergies, I'm going to be hugging her, my father, kids, generations of grandkids, it's going to be great. And it's going to be very loud like we saw last week in 2414. I can't be, imagine even being quiet during this celebration because we're going to be celebrating all together this great victory that Jesus has provided. So we're, we're going to move into 25. Um, in chapter 24, verse 16, tells us the name of the song that we're continuing through. It is called Glory to the Righteous One. Glory to the Righteous One. This song is sung to Jesus, and today we're going to see that remnant coming into Zion, um, no doubt singing or shouting the entire time. Uh, 24, 23 told us that Jesus will be there. He's going to be ready. Everything's going to be prepared. He is going to be reigning on high, and we're going to feast together. So as we've seen in, in chapters 13, and we're going to see all the way through chapter 27, the remnant, the chosen few, are now entering Zion, and they're going to receive these gifts that God's provided. And gifts that others who relied on their own pride, their own self-reliance, these gifts they will never know. So let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for this opportunity to just be looking at this great promise. It just never ceases to amaze me every time I look at this, that this is written in Isaiah. It's, almost, it's, always, it's also promised in Revelation. We see the end. We see the victory party that's waiting for us, that gets us through tough times, knowing that we're going to be at a table as hyper as all get out with amazing food and drink, hugging, hugging our loved ones and just enjoying this great time of celebration. May we always praise you. May we always look to this time, no matter what we're going through. May we look to this time and remember you're going to have a glorious banquet ready for us. Just ready for us. You want us that bad. You want us to come in and just enjoy this. Amen. So Isaiah 25. 
starts off with a song you may recognize. O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt and I will praise your name. For you have done wonderful things, plans formed from old, faithful and sure. For you have made the city a heap, the fortified city a ruin. The foreigner's palace is a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. Therefore, strong peoples will glorify you. Cities of ruthless nations will fear you. For you have been a stronghold for the poor, to the poor, a stronghold to the needy in his distress, a shelter from the storm and a shade from the heat. For the breath of the ruthless is like a storm against a wall, like heat in a dry place. You subdue the noise of the foreigners as heat by the shade of a cloud. So the song of the ruthless is put down. On this mountain, O Lord of hosts, on this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all the peoples, the veil that is spread out over the nations, he will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all the faces and the reproach of the people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord we have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. For the hand of the Lord will rest on this mountain, and Moab shall be trampled down in his place as straw is trampled down in a dunghill. And he will spread out his hands in the midst of it as a swimmer spreads his hands out to swim. But the Lord will lay low his pompous pride together with the skill of his hands, and the high fortifications of the walls he will bring down, lay low, and cast to the ground, to the dust. You know, folks, this is only 12 verses, but this is so very powerful. And what we're going to look at today, we're going to go through 1 through 5, and it's the joy in the Lord because of his mighty acts, the joy of the Lord because of his mighty acts. Verses 6 through 8, the Lord's preparations for the future. 6 through 8, the Lord's preparations for the future. And then 9 through 12, joy in the Lord for his saving acts. One through five. O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name. For you have done wonderful things, plans formed from old, faithful and sure. For you have made the city a heap, a fortified city of ruin. The foreigner's palace is a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. Therefore, strong, nation, strong peoples will glorify you. Cities of ruthless nations will fear you. For you have been a stronghold to the poor, a stronghold to the needy in his distress, 
a shelter from the storm and a shade from the heat. For the breath of the ruthless is like a storm against the wall, like heat in a dry place. You subdue the noise of the foreigners as heat by the shade of a cloud. So the song of the ruthless it put down. At Soma, we believe in the doctrine of salvation. I mean, you're saying, what does that mean? It means that we believe that Jesus Christ died for us, paid the penalty for our sins, so we will never be separated from God. And, and the good thing to know is this salvation is not complete without victory. Victory is involved. It tells us in Exodus 14, 13 and 14. Exodus 14, 13 and 14. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you only have to be silent. So we're going to see that again now as the remnant, as we, the remnant moves to Zion to be with Jesus at this feast, they will obviously travel through a really rough-looking world. And I wonder if they really will even notice it or they're going to be fixed on their destination. So verse 1. Right away we see this remnant has a personal knowledge of God. And praise here means giving thanks or to give a thanks offering. And that's for the wonderful things he has done. And that refers to the supernatural acts Jesus has committed that no man has the power to do. And if we think back to last week, we see those incredible supernatural acts, right? Now, in plans formed from old, Isaiah used an interesting thing, and I can't really help you in the Hebrew, but I can tell you what he did. Isaiah uses a verb in conjunction with the noun plan, and it's strictly related. It's related to the counselor. That word Isaiah uses in chapter 9, verse 6, to describe Jesus in the first advent as counselor. And here he describes him again now in this second advent. And then this links the remnant in Zion with the king who is the Messiah. And also in the Hebrew, there's a picture we see of pre-planning of long ago. So we get this idea of total perfection and the ultimate in faithfulness. And we see it now, but realize when this was written, this this was given to us in, in Revelation also, and it's thousands of years before the first advent. Verse 2, So you have made the city a heap, the fortified city a ruin, the foreigner's palace is a city no more, and it will never be rebuilt. So verse 2 has four lines, and they have a pattern in this song that Isaiah is singing. Um, so if you go A, B, A, B, you see the A lines in Isaiah describe the falls of cities, the cities we talked about in last chapter 24, and the B lines talk about the end of their strength. 
And verse 2 is also linked to 2410 because we saw the city is broken down so complete that no one can even enter the homes. And we see the reference to foreigners here. And this is again, this is linked to chapter 15 and 16 where we saw the pagan nations uh, under threat and fear of their life from other human enemies. And we saw this over and over again. And they refused to trust God. They refused to, to look to Him. And they trusted in their own strength and the strength of other nations. And they found out, and they will find out, that's futile. Verse 3, Therefore strong peoples will glorify you. Cities of ruthless nations will fear you. You know, a better translation of the word here is, is making um, city and people singular. But we know from last week that we saw this. It wasn't referenced a particular city. So I feel comfortable with it saying cities here. And the verse seems to be that some peoples within these nations, having seen God and seeing the power, begin to actually worship him and serve him. And maybe what's left of these people in these ruthless cities actually fear God and turn to him. And maybe not all of them will curse them. Maybe a couple after a couple hundred pound hailstones hit their friends actually turn and don't just curse God. And the use of ruthless here is defined as meaning unsparing use of strength on others. And we see that the way these people treat each other. And Psalm 47.3 tells us in reference to this that he subdued peoples under us and the nations under our feet. Verses 4 and 5, so you, For you have been a stronghold to the poor, to a stronghold to the needy in his distress, a shelter from the storm and a shade from the heat. For the breath of the ruthless, breath of the ruthless is like a storm against a wall, like a heat in a dry place. You subdue the noise of the foreigners as heat by the shade of a cloud, so the song of the ruthless is put down. So in 4 and 5 here, we see all sides of salvation. We see what Jesus is to his people. It says, For you have been a stronghold to the poor, a stronghold to the needy in distress, a shelter from the storm and a shade from the heat. We also see the overwhelming threat that Jesus rescues from. For it says, for the breath of the ruthless, ones that provide unsparingly um, power against us, is like a storm against the wall. And we see the ease, we see the ease at which Jesus performed this mighty work to rescue us. It says, like heat in a dry place, you subdue the noise of the foreigners as heat by the shade of a cloud, so the song of the ruthless is put down. In verse 4, we see the word shelter, which gives us the available access, the picture of available access to security that we have. And it is in strong contrast to what we saw in 2410 when we saw the people there in this rough, brutal city 
had no access to security. And it's giving us an overall picture that God's enemies, God's enemies will have no access to security. And the breath of the ruthless like a storm against a wall gives us the picture of wind shaking against the wall. I know in this valley we have no idea what that's like with mighty wind blowing. Um, but even if God's enemies can get the wall to shake a little bit, they will have no victory. And then verse 5 shows us the ease at which God gives that victory, right? And we live in the perfect environment to understand this, and we're moving into that time of year, right? Now, how many of all of us, you know, when we've been walking out on a, on a fairway in, in golf, and we see how hot it is, and all of a sudden this cloud cover comes over, right? And we get that relief as we're lining up our next shot. We've all experienced this, right? No? Okay, well, you know, it's a picture of the sun beating down on us, and then that is removed. I know one of the things I used to go out and see every year when I worked on the main part of Edwards, you'd see the young airmen out there that would take care of the aircraft. And you always knew when it was getting warm when the first one fainted, because you had to realize it would be 100 plus degrees outside. They're on a black tarmac. And so it would be temperatures of exceeding 130 degrees Fahrenheit. So whenever a cloud came over, it had to be a welcome relief. And the picture is, we see that because there is nothing we do to get that cloud cover. It's, it just moves in and provides us relief. And that's the, we, the picture we see with Jesus conquering. There's nothing we have to do. It just comes in and happens that easy. That's how easy the battle's going to be. Verses 6 through 8, the Lord's preparations for the future. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all of his peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the coverings that is cast over all the peoples the veil that is spread out over the nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away the tears from all the faces. The reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. Now we looked at this picture a little bit last week when we looked at Exodus 24. And we saw the elders and Moses they beheld God, and they ate and drank. Now, in Exodus 19, all the people were excluded from, were, that were excluded from communing with God, but now in this pers- per passage, we see them in. And in Hebrews 12, 22 through 24, Hebrews 12, 22 through 24, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who were enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. 
And again, we see this in contrast in the Old Testament. And back in Isaiah 2, 2 and 3, it says, And it shall come to pass in the later day, latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of all mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills, and all the nations will flow to it. And many people shall come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So we see before where the people of Israel had a representative with the elders, we will have no such representative. We will be there before God. We will all go into Zion, and Isaiah is used here by God to emphasize the words all. Over and over again in these three verses, we see the word all. We see in this section all peoples and all nations at the Lord's feast. He's making it very intentionally that we understand this. Um, and these three verses describe the two actions of the Lord on his holy mountain. Verse 6 is his act of provision, what he's going to provide. And 7 and 8, his act of destruction. And then praise God again, we see all the phrases. We see all peoples, all nations, all faces, and all the earth. And this is not by chance. And, and we see this in this order. We see him say, all peoples, and that points to ethnic groups, all nations, the political entities, the faces, all the individuals. What a picture that will be when we're up there. All these faces that we'll see in heaven. And all of these become his people, his people. Verse 6 on this mountain, the Lord of hosts, will make for all peoples a feast of rich foods, of well-aged wine, of rich, full food of, full of marrow, and aged wine well refined. So they gave it away. We know the menu already. We know what it's going to be, and we know all of his people are invited. Now, rich food here means the finest of meats. Now, Isaiah in this song given to him by God repeats the menu twice. And I, I get this picture of a kid that's really excited about this good news and just keeps repeating this over and over again. Um, and the meal here is provided by God. There's nothing that we have to pay. We don't have to bring anything. You don't have to worry about having Tupperware. There's nothing. It's going to be all there and the best, richest meats and wines for dinner. And I got news for you, the wine is real. It's going to be at full strength. And, and this is in contrast to what we saw last week with God's enemies. The wine was no longer there, and when they did find something, it was so bitter, like we saw in verse 9. But this will be the best. This will be the best. Because we know one thing from the New Testament, Jesus can make wine, and he can make the best wine. 
We saw this in John 2.10, right? The wine steward went up to the groom and said to him, hey, wait a minute, everyone serves the great wine first, and then when people have drunk, and then they bring out the poor wine. I never got that that was a pun. You bring out the poor wine? Maybe it's just my humor, but I, I got to talk to John about that. When I, but you have kept the good wine until now. So it was a lot better than what they had, and I'm sure this young earthly groom got the best he could. On a side note, going through this, I saw a lot of really talented Bible scholars have a hard time with verse 6. They either ignored the reference to wine, or they briefly talked about the food and made some weird assumption that the wine was alcohol-free. I want to point out this was mostly Baptists that said this. Um, and their references were, they were valid, but they were warnings of the evil of too much wine and too much strong drink. Um, what I found interesting also is they skipped the part about food. We know God tells us not to be gluttons, but the food was extremely silent on this. I didn't know why. They did not tell us the food was going to be healthy. They didn't tell us, oh, don't worry, the food is gluten-free. Or warn us to use healthy portions. There was none of that there. Um, and the thing I can get out of this is, please understand, humans, we're all sinners. We will put our human views on things. Um, I've been at a dinner before where I was with multiple friends. One had a glass of beer, one, and another one um, had multiple sodas, ate his meal, ate most of his wife's meal, and then came later and explained that he was concerned because my friend had a, a glass of beer. I said, I'd be more concerned with you. I said, I consider soda to be very, very bad for your body. You had so many, I was nervous. And then you ate, you know, your meal and your poor wife could barely even touch hers and you ate that. So I would, I would look at the big picture. That one glass of beer did nothing for that guy except, I don't know, taste good. But um, yeah, and, and that's what we can, there's such a problem with people doing that. But um, I would remember that, what did Jesus use as an example of his blood? He used wine. And I got to tell you folks, the more and more I study this, the more I realize they didn't have refrigeration back then. You could not keep, if you had non-alcoholic wine, you could not keep it. So please note that when, when they had wine, they had wine. They would dilute it, I guess for kids, after kids would like, I don't know, start chasing bears or whatever, but... I don't know what led up to them diluting it, probably something like that. It had to be kid-related. But let's look at what Jesus said about, contrasted himself with John the Baptist about this subject. And I'm going to stay on as long as I have to. Just note that. We'll talk about wine the rest of the message. Um, it said, For John the Baptist has come eating no bread, and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man, Jesus referring to himself, 
has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. He drank wine on earth. And guess what? He's got the best wine waiting for us, along with the best food. Um, and at this victory party, that we're all there, we're going to have different bodies. Amen? And we will be celebrating this greatest victory ever, ever. And we'll be, think about this, I don't know if we ever even stop and think about this, we're going to be partying with Jesus. Is that incredible or what? Um, and the best part of this is the tradition that we saw of God's people. You know, you think of a party in America, you think, okay, if I get there, it's going to suck, so if I get there 6, I can leave by 8.30. Um, that's not the way this party's going to be. In true fashion, this will go on for weeks. And if it's true, they tell us a day on earth is, or a day in heaven is like 10,000 on earth, and it goes on for two weeks. We could be there for quite a while. So thank goodness it's Jesus providing the food and the drink. We don't have to worry about it. Um, and I, for one, going through this, I trust God. And I know He knows what He's doing. So, whatever He's going to serve at this incredible party, I'm enjoying. I'm going to enjoy it. So, since the creator of everything is throwing this party, here's my advice to you. Enjoy. And, and the good thing is, just keep this in mind, you can, you can blame me for it. If you're up there and you're feeling a little ornery, go find a Baptist and pour him another drink while you're up there. Verse 7, And he will swallow up the mountain that is covering the cast over all peoples, and the veil that is spread out over the nations. This may seem weird to go from the best party ever to eating the best food ever to then talking about a, and swallowing up a covering that's covering all the people. Um, but this cover that's being swallowed up is a picture of the death shroud that would be put over a body. And so death is conquered for all of God's people. And he says, he will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away the tears from all faces and the reproach of his people. He will take away from the earth. For the Lord has spoken. And we see that. We see, here he's saying this in Isaiah, but we see the same thing in Revelation. Revelation 21, 3 and 4. It says, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with that man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Amen. God himself will be among us. Let that sink in. God himself will, will be among us. And I don't think there's been a time since the early days 
of the Garden of Eden that this had been the case when God would come down and walk and hang out with Adam. And God will wipe away any tears that we may have when we approach him. The curse of death will be gone. The physical that we knew will be no more. And we will only know perfection. Again, write down a note or, or do it now and let that sink in for a moment as you think about that. What the, I don't even think in my mind of going through this for a couple of weeks now. I still can't get that in. Right now we have our own definition of what a best day is. Um, mine usually includes my wife on Grammy time. Or something while they're running around the house and done something or said something. And then later we reflect back and say, what a great day. But this scene will outdo any of the best days I have, and not by a little, but by a long shot. So verse 19, verse 9 through 12. Sorry to freak you out. Verses 9 through 12. Joy in the Lord for his saving acts. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. For the hand of the Lord will rest on this mountain. And Moab shall be trampled down in his place as straw is trampled down in a dunghill. He will spread out his hands in the midst of it as a swimmer spreads his hands out to swim. But the Lord will lay low his pompous pride together with the skills of his hand. And the high fortifications of his walls he will bring down, lay low and cast to the ground to the dust. On that day, we're talking about on that day, the day of the Lord. So verse 9 and the beginning of 10 refers to life in God's city. And then after the beginning of 10, we leave God's city and God deals with his prideful enemies. We will rejoice, realize, we will realize and exclaim that behold, this is our God. We have waited for him and he has saved us. Rejoicing in his salvation. Salvation here denotes the work of God. The work being that he rescued his people from hardships of the world, made us his people, restored us unto his favor, and we are brought under his rule. So the focus here is on deliverance unto. It's a big difference. Deliverance unto versus deliverance from. What we are being delivered unto. We are delivered unto a life with God, seeing Him and enjoying for time forever on His mountain. 
Psalm 84, 7 tells us, Psalm 84, 7, they go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. And then the transition to leave the mountain and show further punishment is after the beginning of verse 10. So we leave from the Lord, the, for the hand of the Lord will rest on this mountain, showing power and protection. And then we instantly head to the punishment of Moab. Now what Moab here is serving as the representative of all the cities that we read about in, in 24, the peoples of the world, the peoples that are not currently on the mountain feasting with God. They're going to experience something much worse. They are still caught up in worldwide disaster. We see God's hand resting on the mountain while his foot, the picture of this, his foot is trampling the people in a very disgusting picture of putting on a compost pile. I did take the time to research this. Got to hear some interesting stories. One from a woman that was a goat farmer. And the thing is, you don't disturb the compost pile, she learned. Otherwise, this chemical named ammonia will ruin your day. Um, also saw weird photos of, I hope they weren't my relatives. Well, they could be. Um, that worked compost piles, massive ones for municipalities. So you see the picture of these guys with shovels and, and, uh, and rakes tending to the pile. And the only thing I could come up with, maybe it's to do with, we talked about last week, the worst environmental disaster to hit the world will be man in a sin. And now God's turning that environmental mass massacre into a compost pile. He's recycling. Um, I don't know, but it's, it's something that's very disgusting. And they all would have had these. If you look back at Jerusalem, they had a gate called the Dung Gate that I guess people would cart their mess out there. And, and they probably had foreigners managing the pile. So it is a sick, disgusting pile, and these people are getting put into it. Moab, or now that we call the world, has a sense of pride in themselves, and we see this pride hold back Moab and it's a picture of the world now. It held them back in chapter 16, chapter 16 um, from coming into Jerusalem uh, and being saved from their enemies. Uh, and now this picture is of the world being excluded from God forever. Moab chose to remain outside in chapter 16 and not enter in. And as it was then, it is now, this picture of deadly pride. Uh, Moab, or the world, will be downtrodden. This picture of these two scenes is extreme at best when you think about it. Here's God's people around the highest, way, the highest mountain, partying for days with the best food, the best wine, and God's enemies are smashed into a human waste pile. I don't know if there could be a worse spot. Maybe. 
So we know the banquet feast will be with God and, and with, uh, with his enemies, the dunghill. In verse 11, Moab, the world, will believe it can go it alone. It can overcome its environment. And the perfect picture here that is doing an activity that's alone, swimming. I don't know if it's a picture of them trying to swim out of the dunghill. I'm not sure. Um, I couldn't find that anywhere. But it's, a, it's not a very pleasant picture, right? So God will end their pride and lay them low. Verse 12. Verse 12 gives us three descriptions of how he will bring down the world's high defenses. I love this. And the high fortifications of his wall, he will bring down, lay low, cast to the ground, to the dust. God says that all the prideful, all that the prideful hold as their security, as their protection, and I love this, brought down, laid low, cast to the ground. That's it. Nothing will be left except dust. And dust offers you no protection. And this song is going to continue. It's going to go into 26. And we will continue with the song of blessing and security found in God. This beautiful chapter ended talking about the prideful and their punishment. But the good thing is the song is not over. It's going to continue on to 27, and then we're going to see how it ends. It ends gloriously. So read ahead. Feel free to read ahead. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this picture. Oh, we long for that day. We long for that day when all this will be put away and, and we will be with your people, our loved ones. The picture is intense. When you sit there and think, Jesus, you're going to have us around and we're going to see all these faces, different shades, colors, everything, but all these faces, and we're going to pick them out. And we will know. What a glorious time. We thank you so much for that. Amen.